0: Good afternoon. This is Karen i I'm a recovered compulsive eater from Syracuse, New York, and my credit stone transfer. Welcome to the Scottsdale Big Book Study, where we are, where we will say the Big Book of AA. I am your host for this meeting today. If you have any questions during the meeting, please contact either the host or the co-host by private message in the chat function. Please note that the speaker Harlan G. will be recorded for the duration of the study. However, questions and answers sessions will follow will not be recorded. We will post a link to the previous week's recordings in the chat function. And I believe we have a volunteer to do that also. We ask that if you can please be sure to keep your microphone on mute at all times during today's big book study. And also please turn off your video if you're exercising, eating, or if you need to step away from your screen. Also, it'll be posted in the chat at various times of the seventh tradition. Now we'll turn over to Harlan G. And we're leaving off where Harlan left off last week. And it's XXII in the fourth edition. You're up, Harlan. Thank you so much, Karen. And thank you
1: for your service. And uh, I want to thank all the people, not just Karen, but Karen for sure. I want to thank all the people who give service to this all the time to keep it going there's podbeam and there's zoom and there those things have to be paid for and they have to be administrative and they have to be watched and they have to be taken care of and i just want to thank each and every one of you who are responsible for all the behind the scenes uh activities that make this, make this thing work. It's, it's so wonderful of you. I am so glad to be here today. I just wanna remind all of you that next weekend, that's next Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, the OA birthday will be taking place on Zoom. It uh, is a Los Angeles event, but it will be taking place on Zoom. And I encourage each and every one of you to register for the convention by going to oabirthday.org or go to Los Angeles Overeaters Anonymous, Los Angeles Overeaters Anonymous. And when you're at Los Angeles Overeaters Anonymous, you can click on birthday, click on Uh, registration, and it will walk you through that. I don't know if it's Los net. I don't know. But what I do is I just type in Los Angeles Overeaters Anonymous. And the first thing that comes up, I just hit that one and I'm there. So I don't know what what the uh, little ending of that is. But I get there every single time. It's $30 to register. And when you consider all the junk that we've thrown down our mouth, It is a cheap price to pay. And again, we will not be meeting next week. We will meet up again on the 22nd. I also wanted to remind each and every one of you that upcoming, before we meet again, you may wanna take a moment to announce it to your meetings. You may wanna take a moment to just bow your head in thanks. Then on the 19th of January, The 19th of January in West Los Angeles, California, was the very first meeting of Overeaters Anonymous back in 1960. So this year on the 19th of January, we will be beginning our 62nd year. Isn't that amazing when you consider how much controversy and difficulty were Uh, thrown in the way of this fledgling society. What a miracle. What an absolute miracle that we are gathered together today in unison where we want recovery after 62 years. We are still here. And I, I hope I speak for all of you when I ask God's blessing that we may be here for another thousand times a thousand years to help the struggling people who are gonna come in the doors long after we are gone. So I hope that this organization and the steps and everything will be there for the person. And it says to be the outstretched hand of Overeaters Anonymous to those who urgently seek it for this I am responsible. Very important to be the outstretched hand of Overeaters Anonymous to those who urgently seek it. For this, I am responsible. Let's go to page XXII. XXII, as Karen told you, Karen was right on, but I saw there's like a whole plethora of people that came in after she um, announced it. And uh, we're going to begin today with the forward to the third edition. And we have been talking about the history of AA and how AA was formed and how AA came to be. And it isn't quite as simple, I'm afraid, that Bill met Bob and then it just sprung out of their ears. There's a lot more to it than that. So there's a lot of people along the way. Some of them succeeded and some of them failed. And oftentimes, Bill would say, We learned more from the failures than we did from the successes. Let's go to page XXII, forward to the third edition. This is a short one, very, very short. It's the shortest of the forwards, I believe. By March 1976, when this edition went to the printer, the total worldwide membership of Alcoholics Anonymous was conservatively estimated at more than 1 million with almost 28,000 groups meeting in over 90 countries. Now I came into uh, Overeaters Anonymous in 1979 on February the 2nd, 1979. And so I came in just as the third edition was uh, three years after the third edition was out. And one of the things that I do remember that was very controversial at that time was the story Uh, doctor, addict, alcoholic, and you may know that story as acceptance is the answer. Now, the reason that that story was quite controversial at the time, it wasn't really controversial within OA circles. It was very controversial within AA circles, and I'll tell you why. Dr. Paul Oliger wrote that story for the big book. He had been uh, published in... um, grapevine and he was a very iconic figure in California but when he wrote his story of doctor addict alcoholic or acceptance is the answer that we know it by today the reason that it was controversial is many AA members do not want you sitting in the rooms discussing food drugs gambling other substances this is AA, many of them say, and we are here to recover from alcoholism, and we talk about our issues with alcohol and a recovery therefrom in our meetings. And for this story, there was mention of drugs and all kinds of things that a lot of old guard AAs just did not feel comfortable discussing. This is AA, damn it. And sometimes when we would go to AA meetings, we would go to the Lincoln Park Alano Club. And in the afternoon on Saturday was an open meeting for all manner of program. And it was called, uh, I believe it was called AWOL, A Way of Life And it was OA and it was AA and it was everything that you could imagine. But a lot of OAs pounced on that opportunity to go to AA meetings where a lot of the ladies that I went to OA meetings with were afraid to go. They didn't quite know what to expect. They were a little apprehensive about the AAs and so on and so forth. So a lot of them didn't want to go. Well, at this meeting though, they would go. And oftentimes we would get there early enough to hear the end of the previous AA meetings. And we would hear them talking about various things. And there were people in those meetings that were quite uncomfortable with this story for the reason that I just gave you. And that is, he talks about things in there other than alcohol. I know it doesn't have a lot to do with OA and food, but I'm just giving you a little bit of the history of how controversial some of this stuff could be at the time. Today, I don't think anybody thinks a thing of it. If they do, they're a very quiet minority. But at that time, it was quite controversial. At that time, it was quite controversial. And when you see that there were a million members of AA, remember that over the last couple of weeks, we have said, and we have studied, that the growth in this program was very, very slow. That when the book first came out, you couldn't give it away. And there were all kinds of concerns that people were just not recovering, that people were just not getting it. And so there was a lot of concern that the slow growth of the program was going to hinder them. And they worried whether or not the program would indeed succeed. And of course, when you see how ubiquitous AA is today, that it is almost a household word, that it is something that is accepted. And people that are not in AA today know what it is, and they understand the importance, and they appreciate the successes that AA has had over the generations since its founding back in 1935. So the mere fact that it had a million members in 1976 is nothing short of an absolute miracle, an absolute miracle. And God wasn't done yet because there's lots and lots of miracles that we're going to see also in the book. Well, I'll let the book tell you about those miracles. Surveys of groups in the United States. I'm on XXII, XXII. Surveys of groups in the United States and Canada indicate that AA is reaching out not only to more and more people, but to a wider and wider range Women now make up more than one-fourth of the membership among newer members. The proportion is nearly one-third. Seven percent of the AA surveyed are less than 30 years of age, among them many in their teens. And we have people today that are coming into AA recovery at very young ages, and some of them stay recovered, and sadly, many of them do not. But it is something that you will see if you're around AA. I went to meetings at the North Scottsdale Fellowship Club for many, many years. Actually, this is only the second year and I've lived here. Uh, this will be 20 years in June. June 23rd, it'll be 20 years since I moved to Arizona. And am I glad I did. The only real regret that I have is that I didn't move here years ago because I love Arizona. There's, really, there's nothing not to love. But what I'm saying is, it, on the there's the OA side, and then there's other meetings in that room, and then on the other side, it's just AA. There's nothing else in there but AA meetings, and the um, the people today that are in AA are really representatives of all ages, all races, all creeds, all religions and all bottoms you know when aa first started it was all very low bottom guys very low bottom what does that mean low bottom that means that they were really really uh down on their luck and their lives had just blown up you see people today in aa and in na and in oa their lives are not as bad as these original founding fathers and they're coming in a little earlier and that is just Fantastic. Let's go back to XXII. Forward to the third edition. The basic principles of the AA program, it appears, hold good for individuals with many different lifestyles. What are the principles? The principles are the steps. Um, of many different lifestyles, just as the program has brought recovery to those of many different nationalities. The 12 steps that summarize the program may be called Las Dos pasos in one country, Les douze Etape in another, but they trace exactly the same path to recovery that was blazed by the earliest members of Alcoholics Anonymous. There is a story about AA that I wanna tell you today the year was 1945. The Second World War in Europe was over. It was the summer of 45. And the uh, war in Japan was still raging. And at that time, they didn't have meetings every night like a lot of places do today. They had For a long time at the Wilson home at 182 Clinton Street, they had the meetings every Sunday night. And then what they did was they moved to a club in New York and they had meetings every Tuesday night. And a man showed up in women's clothing and he came up the stairs to the meeting room and he was obviously... Uh, a a person who was different than what they had experienced. He was African-American. He was from a different cut of cloth than what they were used to seeing. Now, the traditions had not yet been accepted as as they are today, as the principles of the organization. And they didn't know what to do. And I don't know why they had to do anything, but, they called Bill Wilson at home and they said to the guy, wait a minute, you know, they, they didn't want him going in there just yet, which is sad. But they said to him, hold on a second. And they call Bill Wilson at home and they said to Bill Wilson, here's the story. Here's what's going on. And Bill Wilson says on the phone, ask him if he would like to stop drinking. And he they ask him, and he says, yes. They said, Sh- please show him into the meeting. Please show him into the meeting because the only requirement for membership in Alcoholics Anonymous is a desire to stop drinking liquor. That's the only requirement for membership in AA. And we follow their traditions and the only requirement for membership in OA is a desire to stop eating compulsively. And so we need to remember that without diversity, we are in trouble. And and you've heard me talk about this before and it makes some of you uncomfortable. And I'm sorry that it makes you uncomfortable, but I'm not sorry I'm gonna say what I'm gonna say. So don't try to elicit an apology from me because you're not gonna get it. We have failed the African-American community. The evidence is staring you in the face. We have failed. And I have spoken at conventions in Boston and New Orleans and Chicago and 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 Los Angeles and Los Angeles and Los Angeles and Los Angeles, and you get the idea. But I have spoken at conventions in big urban areas of a 1,000 people, 1,200 people, 1,400 people, you can count the people of color on two hands. We've got to do better. I know that makes some people uncomfortable. I'm sorry you're uncomfortable, but we are going to be stronger when we are varied and different. We are going to be stronger when different voices of different types of people are in the rooms. We have failed the Hispanic community to a large degree. That is getting taken care of. There's a woman in Boston and there are some people that I know that I'm in contact with that are really very diligently looking you know, at ways to bring it to and the Hispanic community. And we are gonna have translators at the birthday, hooked up to Zoom, just like they do with the United Nations. And they're gonna be translating everything we say into Spanish immediately. We have failed other minorities too. Now, I know that some of you are going to call me up today, and you're going to call me tomorrow, and you're going to have all kinds of things. I'm I'm sorry if that makes you uncomfortable. I apologize. I don't apologize. I'm sorry that it makes you uncomfortable. I'm not sorry I'm saying it. I've been here for 42 years. I may not know much, but I know what I just said is true we have failed the Native American community. The Native American community close to where I live is so infected with obesity and not infected, but so rampant is the, is the um, level of obesity and diabetes that they have amputation centers on the reservation because of the foot and toe and leg amputations from diabetes. We have got to do a better job. Now, if you tuned into this, and I'm flattered that there's 156 of you here today, I'm flattered. I'm flattered. But I want you to know, however strong we are now, however effective we are now, our effectiveness and our strength and our fellowship and the love that we have for one another will transcend all of these various barriers. We will be better. When we're more different, please please know that I'm not going to apologize for that. So please don't call me later looking for that. If it makes you uncomfortable, then it makes you uncomfortable, and that's that's not my fault. Sorry. In spite of these great increase, in spite of the great increase in the size and the span of this fellowship, you no, know, I didn't used to spit when I talked. And I got to be an old man instead of a young man. <laughs> Now, all of a sudden, I give out showers, but I got to give a towel once in a while, too in spite of the great increase in the the size and span of the fellowship, notice that fellowship is capitalized because to many, this is a higher power. Group of drunks. They can't wrap their head around the God thing being a deity or a power greater than themselves. And so what I ask people to do is, do you believe that there are people here that have what you want that seem to be tapped into a power greater than you? Could you just accept for a minute that the group of drunks, G-O-D, group of drunks, is enough to get you started, and they say yes. So for many, many people, this is a starting point. My first higher power was Lake Michigan. I used to look at that lake and say, wow, that lake doesn't care whether the Cubs won or lost. It doesn't care whether the Bulls or the Blackhawks are in the playoffs or not. Man, it's just—it's just out there, man. It's sometimes it's violent and sometimes it's calm, but that's going to be my higher power, and that—that's where it started for me too. And, uh, at its core, and remains simple and personal. Each day, somewhere in the world, recovery begins when one alcoholic talks with another alcoholic, sharing experience, strength, and hope. That no matter how large AA gets or OA gets. What is OA essentially? Here is what OA is essentially. OA is when one compulsive overeater shares his story with another compulsive overeater so that the second compulsive overeater's feelings of difference and alienation are reduced to the point where they can realize that they have hope. If they will just follow what the first compulsive overeater is doing, then they can recover too. I'm on the forward to the fourth edition now, page X, X, I, 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 X, X, I, I, I. (laughs) Okay, let's go to the forward to the fourth edition and There'll be a point in the near future where we're going to be looking at the forward to the fifth edition, because from what I understand, we're not all that far off from a fifth edition rolling off the presses. Won't that be exciting to see the changes that they may have made in the stories or the changes that they may have made in the very front of the book? But I'll clue you in on what won't change. I'll clue you in on what will be exactly the same when it's the 83rd edition or the 325th edition. The doctor's opinion will be the same. They will not mess with Dr. Silkworth and they will not mess with pages one through 164. Nothing will change. Nothing will change. Why? Why? why not why won't it change don't you think maybe they should update some of it or modernize some of it or punch it up a little bit no because it works and if it works for the love of god don't fix it it works it worked then in 1939 when it rolled off the printing press and it works today and this will work 20,000 years from now, it works, page 88, it works, it really does. Let's go to the forward to the fourth edition. This fourth edition of Alcoholics Anonymous came off the press in November of 2001. I was very aware of it, and I got my copy of the fourth edition. That thing is destroyed now. I I don't even think I don't think I have it anymore. I think I actually gave it to someone who wanted it at the start of a new millennium since the third edition was published in 1976 worldwide membership of aa has just about doubled so you've got two million members now and the two million represents a lot of miracles just think in 1937 uh, 16 months after the first meeting, 1937, there were 10 people in the world of of AA that were sober, 10 people. Where am I pulling that from? I'm pulling it from page 159. It said a year and six months later, there were 10. So it took a year and a half to get 10. And now we have 2 million and uh, to an estimated 2 million or more with nearly 100,800 groups meeting in approximately 150 countries around the world. OA is in 60 countries, they are in 150 countries. What a miracle. I hope one day that we will be in 150 countries too. One of the things that, especially if you're not experienced at attending world conventions and birthdays and things like that, one of the things that's very, very beautiful is to sit there in the the auditorium and hear somebody get up from South Korea, get up from Russia, get up from Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, get up from uh, Lithuania, Russia, Germany, Spain, Portugal, Greece, Italy, you know, China, Japan, uh, uh, you know, it just, it, it blows your mind, how electric and how powerful that is. If something happens to me and I'm not around, which I hope I will be around, but you never know. And I'm not around when this blasted, this blasted uh, pandemic is over, please get yourself to the conventions, get yourself to the retreats get yourself to the birthday which is a convention too but get yourself there you're gonna your your program is going to be enhanced when you are in the presence of a lot of other people some of which you don't know it's really going to enhance your program and it goes back to what I just said about the different communities that we need to do better with literature has played a major role in AA's growth that growth that's for sure And a striking phenomenon of the past quarter century has been the explosion of translations of our basic literature into many languages and dialects. In country after country where the AA seed was planted, it has taken root slowly at first, then growing by leaps and bounds when literature has become available. Currently Alcoholics Anonymous has been translated into 43 languages, they mean the book, Alcoholics Anonymous, the fellowship, they already speak the language there, but the book Alcoholics Anonymous has been translated into 43 43- languages. Isn't that a miracle? Remember, we talked about the fact that when the book first came out, it was very, very difficult to sell. It was very difficult. You couldn't give the darn thing away. And now look, people that speak 43 different languages are gobbling it up. What a miracle As the message of recovery has reached larger numbers of people, it has also touched the lives of a vastly greater variety of suffering alcoholics. When the phrase, we are people who normally would not mix... Page 17 of this book was written in 1939, it referred to a fellowship composed largely of men and a few women with quite similar social, ethnic, and economic backgrounds. Like so much of AA's basic text, those words have proved to be far more visionary than the founding members could have ever imagined. And when you look at some of the people that are here today, or some of the people that you do see in meetings every day, we are people who really would not mix in most cases. What do we have in common so much of the time? Well, do we live in the same state? Not necessarily. Do we like the same things? Not necessarily. But let's strip away all those things that are not important. Let's get down to the what's important. And as my friend Charles in New York City likes to say, let's drill down to this fact. Let's drill down to the fact that each and every one of us, whether we are male or female, no matter what race we are, religion we are, no matter whether we're gay or straight, whether we're tall or short, it doesn't matter whether we're anorexics, bulimics, restrictors, compulsive overeaters of any variety doesn't matter. What do we have in common? We have an allergy of the body, which makes it impossible to stop once we've started. We have a twist of the mind that makes it impossible for us to stay stopped. What else do we have in common? We have in common that we speak and we understand the language of the heart that's stripped from money stripped from the outer act from from the outer accoutrements stripped from all these things who's tall who's short who's this who's that doesn't matter that stripped of these accoutrements we are the same person in different skin i have a friend of mine she lives in northern california and she and I, we talk quite, quite often, we, we talk, we speak. And she is a restrictor and an anorexic and a bulimic. And she's a compulsive overeater. What do we have in common? Let me assure you, nothing. Absolutely nothing. Yet we love each other. Why do we love each other? We love each other because we speak and understand the language of the heart. We can speak to each other in a language almost as un, uh, as, as un, unbelievable to outsiders as if I was speaking to her in some foreign tongue. I have a friend that lives in New York City. His initials are C-H. What do I have in common with him? Nothing. But I can speak to him because he and I speak and understand the language of the heart, that we can go across the various divides. We can transcend the various divides. And to look at me and this man in New York, or to look at me and this woman who lives in California, you would think there's nothing that these people have in common. We have everything in common. Because no matter what you may look at and see, she and he and I are gutter, back alley, dumpster diving, compulsive overeaters who would rather eat out of a garbage can than not eat. That we would do anything we could. We would sell our souls to the devil for a Twinkie. We would sell our souls to the devil for chocolate covered cherries or what have you. And that is what we have in common. And that is what binds us together as if we were people that had survived a shipwreck where democracy pervades from steerage to captain's table. Steerage is the cheapest way to get across the ocean. Now, a long time before people traveled by airplane, they would take a ship. My father came to this country in 1914, and he was the sole survivor of murder and mayhem that occurred well before World War II, when people of my religion, my background, were open game to be murdered. And he was the sole survivor. He was 14 years old. And he made his way to the Baltic Sea from where he lived. Long journey. And he got to the Baltic Sea. And there was a ship called the Baltic to Baltimore. And it left about a week before this and landed in the United States on April the 4th, 1914. And that's the day he came to this country, my father. He was there, he was a young kid, and some guy lifted up a rope. And my dad ran under the rope when the guy said, go ahead. And my dad went to the steerage and people were sharing their cheese sandwiches with him. And they were sharing their meager food with him. He didn't have a ticket, he didn't have any money. All he had was his tears because he had just witnessed the murder of his entire family. And somebody lifted up a rope and said, go ahead. If they had reported him, I would not be here today. They lifted, he he told me this story all the time. They lifted a rope, he ran under the rope and he went down into the steerage compartment. Now, we are all survivors of, of mayhem and destruction that this disease has wrought into our life. Nobody comes in here flying high. We all come in here when we're down and out, and that's just the way it is. We come in here, not on a winning streak, but we come in here usually because things have not gone well for us. There's something about the ego. I don't know what it is specifically, but there is something about the ego that it will not try the right answer until it tries all the wrong answers. Isn't that weird? Wouldn't it be nice or wouldn't it be different anyway? I don't know if it would be nice, but it would be different if our egos had said, you know what? Those people in OA, they seem to have some kind of an answer. I think I'll go over there and I'll do whatever they say for me to do. Wouldn't that be interesting if our egos would say that to us instead of, oh, I can just do this on my own. Oh, I can do this myself. I don't need those people. I don't want to make those phone calls. I don't want to go to their meetings. Every time I drink their lousy coffee, I want to retch. I can't stand this one. I can't stand that one. You'd be amazed at how many phone calls I get a week. Just one of you complaining about one of the other of you. You would be amazed at how many phone calls like that I get every week. One OA member complaining about another OA member. But wouldn't it be nice if our egos were a little different? Maybe someday the human race will evolve to that. But for right now, it hasn't gotten there yet. So every one of us is a survivor. Of, a, of our own shipwreck, or we wouldn't be here. We just wouldn't be here. The stories added to this edition, oh yeah, that's right. The stories added to this edition represent a membership whose characteristics of age, gender, race, and culture have widened and deepened to encompass virtually everyone the first 100 members could have hoped to reach. It is an amazing miracle And I do not know what waits for us when we're gone. I do not know what is on the other side. I don't have a clue, but I hope, I hope that Bill and Bob and Fitz and Ebby and Roland and Dr. Jung and um, Hank Parkhurst and Jimmy Burwell and all of the first 100 all of the men and women, I hope Flo Rankin, Marty Mann, Irma Lavoni, all these people that made it possible for us to be here today are seeing us this morning. And I hope that they're happy and that they're quelling. Quelling is a Yiddish word for rapture beyond belief. And I hope that they're looking down on AA with all its inherent problems, with our inherent problems, and that they are saying good work, good work for carrying on this message. So I hope that when I get up there, not only will I see my mother and father and I'll get to meet my dad's family that I never got to meet and things like that but I hope that one day I will be able to sit on a rock or a cloud and I hope that one day I'll be able to have lunch with my hero, Bill Wilson. Now I know that Bill was very, very human and he did some very questionable things, but he's my hero he is definitely my hero is Bill Wilson. And I love him very, very much. And I owe my life to the work that he did. I hope I get to meet him someday. I hope you all we all will get to meet him someday. While our literature has preserved the integrity of the AA message, sweeping changes in society as a whole are reflected in new customs and practices within the fellowship. Taking advantage of technological advances, for example, AA members with computers can participate in meetings online, as witnessed today, sharing with fellow alcoholics across the country or around the world. In any meeting, anywhere, AAs share experience, strength, and hope with each other in order to stay sober. We share what? Experience, strength, and hope with each other. And that's what we bring to the party, hope. We can give the newcomer hope because if we recovered, maybe they can too. And if it's possible for us to recover, then maybe just maybe that whatever is going on with those people that they will recover too. What a wonderful, wonderful gift we can bring. And in order to be qualified to bring that gift, you have to really have gone through hell in a handbasket. Modem to modem or face to face, AA speak the language of the heart with all its power and simplicity. Now, for thousands of years, going all the way back to the Old Testament, when King Solomon was the King of Israel, going all the way back to the the Old Testament, Solomon believed and wrote that he believed that alcoholism was an illness, but he couldn't prove it and he had no remedy for it. Long time ago in 16, the 1640s, 1640s, there was a man who lived in England, in London, England in the 1640s and he, believed that alcoholism was an illness but he couldn't prove it and he had no remedy for it notice i didn't use the word cure i used the word remedy there is no cure for alcoholism no cure whatsoever the first and his name was dr trotter his name was dr trotter in the United States, in the colonies, there was a guy and he was appointed by George Washington as the first Surgeon General of the United States. And his name was Dr. Benjamin Rush. And Dr. Benjamin Rush actually has a street named after him in my hometown. Rush Street in Chicago is named for Benjamin Rush and his great granddaughter was a movie star. Her name was Barbara Rush. She starred in a movie with Frank Sinatra and she starred in some other various movies. Very beautiful, beautiful movie star. Her name was Barbara Rush and that was his great granddaughter. And Dr. Rush in 1790, he wrote a paper and in the paper that he wrote, he believed that alcoholism was a disease, but he couldn't prove it and he had no remedy for it. So, you know, he there was nothing that they could tell you to do. Back in the 1880s, there was a man who lived in Pennsylvania, Dr. Graham. Dr. Graham, he believed that Alcoholism was the result of a lack of B12 vitamin. And he believed that if you could pump a lot of B12 vitamin into an alcoholic, he wouldn't be alcoholic anymore. And he also believed that masturbation was a horrible blight on our culture. And he believed that if he could pump enough B12 vitamin, no one would masturbate and no one would be an alcoholic. And Dr. Graham developed a cracker. And in the cracker was a load of B12 vitamin and a load of BS because neither thing happened with all the B12. And that is where the original Graham cracker came from was Dr. Graham's attempt to cure alcoholism and masturbation. Now the graham crackers that we eat today are significantly different and they are not really crackers, more cookie than cracker because they're loaded with sugar. But the bottom line is that's where your graham cracker comes from is an attempt by a, a Quaker doctor in Pennsylvania, who was trying to get people not to masturbate and not to drink liquor through massive infusions of B12. Well, he didn't succeed, but at least I got to give him points for effort. And people are still giving graham crackers to their children today, 99% of which probably don't know where the thing developed from, but that's where it came from. It was from a Quaker doctor in Pennsylvania in the 1880s, trying to get people to stop drinking alcohol and doing the other thing. So in the 1920s in New York City, there was a neurologist unconcerned with alcoholism, unconcerned with the alcoholic question, unconcerned whether it was a disease, whether it was whatever, he didn't care. And he was very invested in the stock market. And on Black Tuesday, October 29th, 1929, he lost a lot of what he had and he was in trouble. And he had a friend, Charles Towns, who owned and operated the Towns Hospital in New York City. The town's hospital was a hospital that was specifically for drying out drunks and drug addicts. Yes, they had drug addicts in the 1920s and 30s. They may not have had the drugs that you see today, but they had laudanum and they had opium and they had the cocaine and heroin were sold over the counter. In the earliest part of the 20th century, they advertised heroin as a way of unblocking your bowels. They advertised cocaine as a pick-me-up. If you look at the history of Coca-Cola and Pepsi, Coca-Cola is so named because there was a measure of cocaine in each serving of Coca-Cola. And Pepsi, the first syllable of Pepsi is Pep. What did Pepsi put in their soda was cocaine. Pepsi, Pepsi Pepsi-Cola, Pepsi cola that's something that's so hot or something 12 full ounces that's a lot because coke was 10 ounces so pepsi came out with 12 ounces for the same money and that's how they originally competed but pep and coke are the first syllables coca and pep of coca-cola and pepsi heroin Cocaine were not illegal until around the teens and 20s, and everything started to change at that point. But it was something that you could get over the counter if you went to the apothecary, if you went to the uh, drugstore, you could get these commodities over the counter with no prescription at all whatsoever. Isn't that funny? You think back how things have changed. Well, this is some of the things that you have. This Dr. Silkworth went to work at the Towns Hospital at 293 Central Park West in New York in November of 1929. And 293 Central Park West is in Manhattan. And this hospital started in 1901. Charles Towns started it in 1901. And it was very famous for the belladonna treatment. Belladonna is essentially a poison. And this poison could be cut with certain chemicals so that instead of killing you, it would relax you so it would fool the body into thinking that it had alcohol in it and these guys would stop shaking. Some of these guys had the DT so bad they looked like an Airedale trying to crap out a peach pit. And it was just, they were shaking so bad. You talk about a drinking problem. They would put the drink up to their mouth and throw it on the person behind them because they were shaking so violently. And this belladonna treatment calmed them down, calmed down the DTs enough so that they could get through the initial stages of recovery. Very, very important discovery that he made in this belladonna treatment. Very much like what they use Uh, Percocet and uh, uh, Xanax for today. They use Xanax in a lot of situations like that too. They just calm the guys down. And Dr. Silkworth went to work at the town's hospital in November of 1929. Between November of 1929 and the initial writing of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, Years later, the book was primarily written 37, 38. It was printed on April the 10th, 1939. Most of the book was written in 38 and early 39. Most of it was kind of a a rush thing. But anyway, he witnessed thousands of patients and some of them were not alcoholics. Most of them weren't. 90% 90% of them were not alcoholics. They were playboys and they were millionaires. Towns Hospital was a very high-end place. It took you a lot of money. It was like two, 300 bucks to dry out there for a couple of weeks. Very high-end place. It was mostly millionaires, playboys, actors, what have you, that went in there. Now, Bill Wilson was none of those things, but Bill had a brother-in-law and a mom who really cared about him, and they, they paid his freight. But the bottom line is he witnessed thousands and thousands of patients coming through. And as these patients would come through, he would notice that some of these patients, now they were primarily men, but they weren't all men. They were primarily male, okay, but not all. Some of these guys would go through and they would never return. They got in trouble with drinking. They fell into a crowd that did a lot of heavy drinking, or for some reason it became, you know, their lifestyle that they were doing a lot of drinking. They got in trouble with the drinking. They were hospitalized. They stopped and they never went back to it. But about 10% of these people, about 10% of these people, they would go in and out and in and out and in and out. It was like a damn revolving door. And he started to formulate an opinion, not on scientific base, not on the scientific basis. He couldn't prove any of this. This is purely an observation. Did you ever notice, even though you may not have all the evidence, you just know you're right? You know that based on how you've put together the evidence in front of you, you know the story. This is what Silkworth did. He put together that there were a certain number of these dudes, about 10%. They could neither drink safely nor could they not drink safely. And the more he tried to talk to these guys and the more he tried to treat these guys, nothing seemed to work. That no matter what the situation, they would be back, sometimes in a day, sometimes in a week, sometimes in a year or two years, but they were always back and there was something else he noticed. Now make note of this because this speaks to something he wasn't in touch with at this time. He noticed that every one of these guys that came back came in in worse shape than he had seen them the time before. And that speaks to the the fact that this disease is permanent, progressive and fatal if untreated. Permanent, progressive and fatal. What does that mean? There's no cure for addiction. There's no cure for this. What we have is a reprieve, a daily reprieve, not a monthly, not a weekly, a daily reprieve based on what? Based on the, on, our, on the condition of our spiritual activity. Based on our spiritual condition, we have a daily reprieve. Now, I'm going to tell you something, and I don't want you to repeat this. All 150 of you are sworn to secrecy. I do not get up on Saturday morning and do this for you. I like that you're here. I'm amazed at what God has done with my life. I can't believe that the same guy that used to eat chocolate bars, you know, at at green grammar school back in the early sixties, the kid that was on amphetamine diet pills when I was nine years old, the fattest kid in the school, the fattest kid in the, in the, you know, on the North side, I'm flattered that you're here. But the reason that I do this is because I don't want to eat that way today. I may eat that way tomorrow. I couldn't tell you. I may polish off 10 pounds of of chocolate tomorrow. I don't know. I I, I can't tell you. I don't know. But I, I don't want to right now. And I know that you don't get this program by absorbing spiritual information. You get this program by transmitting spiritual information. I don't know that I would sit here and talk into my computer if there was no one here. But the fact that I'm telling you this has to remain a secret. I don't want this to get out. I do this so that I can stay abstinent today. I want you to stay abstinent. I hope you do stay abstinent. I hope you recover. I know some of you will, some of you won't. But I'm going to tell you something that's going to sound lousy. Whether you recover or not is none of my business. It's none of my business. I hope you do. It's not my business. I'm not in the results business. I'm just not. I'm only in the business of working my program to the very best of my ability and that's what I'm charged with doing. And hopefully you will pass whatever you learn here on to someone else. Maybe you'll ask them to join us. Maybe you'll just pass on some of the things. I hope that in the weeks to come and in the weeks that have gone by already that I will say something that will make you wanna repeat that to some other suffering person. Now, before we get into the doctor's opinion, I'm going to tell you that we're not going to get into it today. We're too close. We only have two minutes. We're too close to the end of our meeting. But before we do this, before we end, I want to just ask each and every one of you, if you are able to, it's $30, please Go to the birthday. You're going to love it. There's a sober eating workshop. There's a big book study. We're not going to be meeting here next week. I know Maria usually puts something on the Zoom, a sign or something that we're going to meet next week because some people will tune in anyway, and we don't want them to feel like, what the heck is going on here? Now, uh, I hope that you will register for the birthday. Los Angeles, Overeaters Anonymous. Click on birthday, click on registration. I also want to um, remind you, we're not meeting next week. I said that already. And we're going to open it up. But before I turn it back to Karen, before I turn it back to Karen, I just want to remind you guys of a couple of things. First of all, let's not waste time with food questions. No food questions. You've got a sober eating workshop coming up next Sunday. They're going to talk nothing but they're all they're going to talk about is food, food plans, what you should eat, what you shouldn't eat, what you should do, what you shouldn't do. That's the whole hour and a half is the sober eating workshop that Adam B and them. That's always Sunday morning because he's Sabbath observant and he doesn't do it on Saturday. Um, no math questions. Oh, for the love of God, no math no math, and I'm gonna ask you one more thing before I turn it over to Karen. If you asked a question last week, step back and let people who didn't ask a question last week, please come to the forefront. I am actually gonna ask you one more thing. Please do not chastise me in any way for what I said about the groups that we have failed. I, I just, I, I don't have it in me anymore. Trust me on this one. We have failed them. We will be better off when we are different. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Take what you want out of that and leave the rest. Okay, Karen, I don't even know if you're still here. If you're here, Karen from Syracuse, it's a, it's all yours.
0: Yeah, Thank you very much, Harlan. Oh, I am you here. And we are going to turn the meeting, I also want to say today is January 8th, 2022. I neglected to say that at the beginning of the recording. I'm going to turn the meeting over to uh, Sue L. I'd like to also thank the co-hosts, Nancy J, and Sue L, Johan N. And we also uh, asked Harlan to co-host. And um, right now we're going to stop the the recording and then we're going to go into um, Q and A.